0: When I asked Caitlin Jettelina how her Thanksgiving had gone, she didn't talk about the turkey or the football or even her in-laws, though that's who she ate dinner with. She talked about this photo.
1: My husband took this funny picture of me up in the guest room, I'm in a toddler chair on a toddler desk with my computer just trying to figure out what was going on.
0: Caitlin is an epidemiologist. She spent the holiday typing away in a guest room because she was trying to figure out everything she needed to know about Omicron, this new coronavirus variant, that most of us found out about just around dinner time. Caitlin had gotten word of it a couple days before that.
1: Um, I guess like the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, it really came on my radar.
0: How did it come on your radar?
1: honestly, Twitter. <laughs> it's uh, I, I follow a few amazing scientists. And there was a scientist uh, in South Africa who was really on top of this and was being very transparent about what was going on, what they were seeing. And um, other scientists started to chime in and I was kind of watching from afar. I mean, you've said you haven't seen this much anxiety-ridden
0: chatter among scientists about a COVID variant before, even among the calm, cool, and collected people. Why the
1: change? You know, I think that There's a lot of change with this variant. I mean, we're talking about 32 changes on the spike protein and Delta was uh, nine changes. And so it was a massive jump in number of mutations. Now, this doesn't mean it's necessarily more severe. It certainly gets it on our radar. All those mutations
0: put this variant on the World Health Organization's radar, too. By Black Friday, Omicron was a quote-unquote variant of concern. Yeah, I'm trying to hold these two things in my head at the same time, which is, I think you and others have been pretty clear, like, no one should panic over this new variant. But at the same time, it seems to have really gotten your attention quickly. It's
1: a hard balance (laughs) to strike, right? This isn't like a Delta Plus. We always expected Delta to mutate to be our next threat. But this was something that was mutated over time, really under our radar, and then all of a sudden popped up. Today on the show, Omicron may be a
0: variant of concern for epidemiologists, but should it be a variant of concern for you? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you feel like the U.S. was turning a corner with Delta? Like we've, you know, boosters are out there. Kids are getting vaccinated. It seemed like infection rates were stabilizing in some places. Like, how did you feel going into November?
1: Yeah, I was optimistic, honestly. Um, I always knew that winter may not look good. Um, coronaviruses thrive in winter. There's no, it's not a consequence. Our biggest wave was during December, January in the United States. Um, so I, I knew we were going to have another wave. I think the question was how big. And then once, we got through the winter with no variants, which is not the case now. Um, I was pretty confident we would enter an endemic state next spring. Um, and then Omicron came. <laughs> Part of why the spread of
0: Omicron, I feel like it seems so troubling, is that the variant became a variant of concern quickly. Can you explain how that happened? Like, Tell me the story of of
1: how we first learned about the variant. The variant was actually first discovered in Botswana, um, and it was discovered on November 11th um, from a few scientists. And then after November 11th, it was quickly identified in South Africa three days later. Um, And then it was identified in two cases in Hong Kong um, from travelers from uh, South Africa. And, you know, we have to give a lot of credit to South Africa. They have been on top of this. What do you mean when you say that? Yeah, you know, I, I think that one, been on top of it of communicating what's happening. They had a very swift response. Um, so scientists around the world knew what the mutations were, um, so they could start de- decoding the threat, um, making this really a team effort. Um, And then they've constantly been communicating to the global arena about what's happening on the ground. And I think that together, those two things, because the virus was caught incredibly early, other countries could really prepare and and figure out uh, what to do right now, as well as others could start figuring out solutions and if this is a variant that is a, a legitimate threat. Hmm. So,
0: let's get into what makes this variant different. I know it's got more mutations.
1: What does that actually mean? So, yeah, and so it has more mutations. Um we've seen some of these mutations before. For example, there's, you know, a few from Delta, a few from Beta, a few from Alpha, all previous variants of concern. There's also new mutations or novel mutations that we've not seen on other variants of concern, but we have lab data to suggest they're a threat. Or maybe we know because of their location on the spike protein that it makes us a little more worried. And the importance of the variations being on the spike
0: protein you've written is basically because that protein is the key into our cells,
1: right? That's right. So we pay attention specifically to the spike protein because, yeah, it's the virus's key into our cells. Um, And if the virus changes to become a smarter key, we need to know about it. Or not only that, either a smarter key or finds another door. We need to know about that. And so um, there's kind of three things we look at to see how this key has changed does this key change to increase transmissibility or increase how contagious the virus is? Does it change in a way that it starts outsmarting our vaccines or infection-induced immunity? And then third, what we look for, does it increase severity um, or hospitalization or death?
0: How many countries are reporting they've seen cases of Omicron so far. Like I just saw a report that Dutch health authorities are saying, oh, actually, we probably had this variant around the same time
1: as they did in Botswana. It it was already here. Yeah. And that's not a surprise at all. So as of uh, November 29th, it was on five different continents, 21 countries. And we had about 200 confirmed cases with many, many more probable cases. Um so yeah it's it's already spreading and we're not surprised about that. This is a very globalized world and usually when we detect a variant it means it's already been spreading. So here's a question I have. Given all of
0: the all of the information that's sort of conflicting about when this variant was where do we know where it
1: came from and does that matter? Uh, No, (laughs) we don't know where it came from. And I don't know if it matters. Um, Well, yeah, maybe it matters a little. I think that many epidemiologists, virologists have a hypothesis that this started really in an immunocompromised individual. And we think that because this isn't a Delta plus variant, it really kind of sprung out of nowhere. And It may be important, um, maybe not, I guess, depending on who you're talking to, for the idea of global equity with vaccines. We've had more than, you know, 7 billion vaccines administered. uh, But that's, you know, certainly not every single person in the world has had a vaccine yet. And until we can get everyone on the same playing field, this virus is still a threat.
0: Can you explain the importance of this variant potentially evolving in someone who is immunocompromised, what difference would that make?
1: We've seen actually before with like beta variant, um, for example, that the virus uh, can stay in someone specifically immunocompromised at low levels for a long time. So it's not, the virus isn't cleared quickly like it is with a healthy individual in, say, 14 days. Um, it can stay in that individual for months and months. The body is a great incubator. And so when the virus is in that immunocompromised person, it can change and change and change and change until it changes a lot and then jumps from that immunocompromised person to another healthy person that then can transmit it. And so, you know, I think this variant has major implications of virus evolution and immunocompromised hosts. And I think what it really underscores is the need to ensure that immunocompromised people are protected by our communities, right, through immunity roles, through masks, um, not just for their own sake, but for all of ours. Um, and I think that's something this variant has really highlighted as well.
0: I mean, last time we did a show about a new COVID variant, we were talking about Delta back in June. And at the time, the physician we spoke with was really calm. She was saying, if you're vaccinated, you're probably going to be fine. Turned out she was pretty much right. But one of the reasons she said that she felt so strongly about this was that as an HIV researcher, she knew that as a virus evolves it can actually get less fit. So actually the virus you get when it's very evolved may impact you less. I wonder if, if you share that perspective and if that's part of what's in your head as you think about Omicron.
1: It certainly is a possibility. You know, a virus's main goal is not to go out and kill. That's actually opposite of its goal. It wants to survive. And so sometimes that means the virus survives by becoming um, less severe. So it doesn't kill off its hosts, for example. I will say, you know, viruses aren't intelligent <laughs> beings. It's it's random. These mutations are completely random, whether they get um, more severe or less severe. So we have to take that in mind. I think the other thing we have to keep in mind is that, you know, mortality is not the only outcome with SARS-CoV-2. We also have morbidity like long COVID, which seems to affect about 30% of adults, 10% of kids. And we're, we have only touched on the surface of what long COVID can do. And so I guess my question then is, you know, if this is becoming less uh, severe in um, disease, Does that mean it's also becoming less severe in um, long COVID? And that's not necessarily the case. And so we have a lot of still unanswered questions, more questions than answers right now. After the break,
0: why it may only take a few weeks to get some of these answers. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Caitlin Jettelina says scientists are already working on how they'll tackle the Omicron variant. One way is by building out a virus in a lab with the variant on top of it. Scientists will then test to see if our current vaccines can fight the variant off. Scientists also want to know how transmissible the virus is and if it's deadlier than previous variants. The good news, Caitlin says is that it might only take a week or so to get some initial findings on these kinds of questions.
1: We're kind of in this lull and it's hard to tell people, just hold on, we don't know yet, um, because we we truly don't know anything yet. That's amazing, you think it's just gonna be a week. Like I think about how long we've
0: been in this pandemic and to think we'll know
1: something in a week, that sounds like, (laughs) That sounds like a real upgrade. Yeah, you know, it is an upgrade. And I would hope to see an upgrade after 20 months of what we've been through. You know, we have teams in place. We have surveillance systems in place now, finally, in the United States. We have people, you know, te- yeah, teams and communicating across the globe working together. And so there's some so a level of comfort there, I think, too. Another bit of good news is
0: that PCR tests those tests that go really far up your nose, they can actually detect Omicron. Caitlin says it's a huge win because it means health workers are going to be able to track the variant as it moves from
1: person to person. So Omicron has a special signal on the PCR directly. So um, we can quickly, um, if labs are set up and know about this trick, know whether a PCR is Omicron or something else like Delta. It is good news. It's amazing news because this means that if and when Omicron is in the United States and starts transmitting, we can track this virus much easier and much quicker um, and really be on top of uh, where this is going and how quickly. You also note that an an Omicron-specific vaccine or booster
0: could be developed really quickly. Why is that?
1: That's right. It's because we have um, this new biotechnology, um, the mRNA vaccines, and they're actually very easy to alter for, you know, Pfizer and Moderna can alter it pretty quickly. It's also a very minor change. Um, and so with that, you know, the FDA does not require a massive phase three trial or it doesn't require to go through regulatory approval. Um, All they require is really for a few dozen people to get the Omicron-specific vaccine, make sure it works against Omicron, um, and then it can be manufactured, distributed, and go into arms. Um, I think Pfizer came out a day or two ago saying that this process would take about 100 days to do. Um, And that's, you know, compared to the nine months that it took for the first vaccine, which is um, a welcomed improvement. Before we go,
0: I'm hoping you and I can go through just a few questions that I think are on people's minds about their lives, given this variant and like how it should impact their decision making. I think the biggest one is that the Christmas holidays are around the corner. And I'm wondering how Omicron should change how people think about the way they're going to be spending that
1: time. Have you started thinking about that yet? Yeah, I actually, I was in a ton of media interviews yesterday, and people started asking that question. I'm like, you guys, let's just get through this week before we think about the holidays. But that's me with my Epi hat on. Um, and I think, lot a lot of people want to know what this means on the ground. Um, I think it's important to recognize that, one, our house is already on fire with Delta. We need to get transmission down right now. And what that means is we have to approach the holidays smartly. And so that means go get a booster today. Go get it right now. We have reason to believe that boosters will help protect against Omicron. We're not convinced we need an Omicron-specific vaccine yet. I think that if a family is fully vaccinated, everyone's boosted, you know, that's a very safe gathering. I think we can also, for the holidays, really leverage antigen testing. You know, those tests you can go get at your corner pharmacy and tells you in 15 minutes whether you're positive and, and contagious or not. Yeah. If you don't have a bunch of these rapid tests at home, should you? Yeah, you should. You know, I the problem is, they are, one, hard to find. They're sometimes out of stock. And then, two, they are expensive for the average American. It's about $25 for two, two tests. And other countries have these tests readily available for free for their, their citizens. And we need that desperately in the United States um, so we can make testing as easy as possible for people um, so we can get control of transmission.
0: What about masking? Does Omicron change anything when it comes to when you mask up?
1: No, it doesn't. You know, vaccinated needs to wear a mask inside. Um, You know, maybe I, I don't I still don't, I'm not convinced that you need to wear a mask outside in well ventilated places that's not packed. But um, no, I mean, masks work great. There's a study that came out a week or two ago showing that masks reduce 58 um, percent of transmission, which isn't perfect, but that will certainly help with the winter. Social distancing, still important, even now? You know, I have never really been convinced of social distancing um, because we know that this virus is airborne. It can survive in the air for up to 16 hours. So even if someone's in a space and leaves, it can still be there and infect. And so, yeah, I mean, You know, I don't know, don't talk to strangers, you know, a few inches away from them where they can spit in your face. But I don't think six feet will necessarily help too much either.
0: It's so funny. I was looking at the reaction to this new variant. And in some ways, I'm amazed at how fast the reaction's been. Like, it feels like last week... A scientist said, huh, something new is happening. And then boom, 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 variant of concern. And, you know, people are saying we're making, we're planning to make a vaccine off of this new variant. It all is happening so quickly. But then I also see that a lot of other decisions that I thought we all agreed weren't so useful are being made really quickly, too. Like the decision to limit travel from South Africa.
1: I wonder what you make of all that. There have been policy-level decisions that I certainly don't agree with. You know, if we're using purely science to drive policy, uh, those are not great policy decisions. But we all know that policy isn't just driven by science either. It does feel a little bit to me like South Africa raised its hand and said,
0: hey, we found something new. And then the response was, "Okay, let's shut down all travel from South Africa. And I just don't know if that's the right response when someone's out there trying to give information to the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know that it's not the right response. It's not even effective. You know, there's it's one thing if you want to close all borders today right now. I mean, that may be effective. But if you select a few handful of countries and say, yeah, we're going to stop travel there, but the virus is everywhere else, And we're going to stop travel in a few days, not today. I mean, it it just doesn't work that way. It's not a public health effective solution. The other problem then actually uh, the scientists who discovered the Omicron in South Africa came on Twitter yesterday saying because of uh, all of these travel bans, they're running out of supplies in the lab to test the threat of this virus. And so they won't be able to start answering questions because they can't get supplies to South Africa because of these travel bans. And so it not only perpetuates this stigma of disease, but um, we're really cutting off their arms in terms of trying to answer all of these questions we desperately need as well.
0: Dr. Jetalina, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no, thank you. Dr. Caitlin Jettelina is an assistant professor with the School of Public Health at UT Health. She's also the founder of a newsletter on Substack. It is called Your Local Epidemiologist. Look it up. All right. That is our show. What Next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Mary Wilson, Daniel Hewitt, and Elena Schwartz. We're led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you tomorrow. Sick of being upsold at gyms?